Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is witch and paranormal researcher Sarah Schick. Sarah lives in the city of Vancouver in Washington state and recently started investigating the legacy of a mysterious figure called Mother Joseph, a remarkable Renaissance woman and visionary who played a huge part in bringing the city into existence. Integral to this were the Hidden family, who Mother Joseph transformed from farmers into expert brickmakers. Years later, the buildings made from those bricks, which have survived into the present day, almost all have a reputation for being haunted, and the Hidden Bricks, as they have been named, are well known in local folklore. Sarah's research is fascinating and a great example of what could be uncovered when someone takes an interest in their local history. Lovely stuff about bricks. Enjoy! Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Rick. Before we get into the hidden bricks and your work on that, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in the paranormal. Oh, gotcha. Um, I don't think there's really been a time in my life when I wasn't interested in the paranormal, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My dad was in the Navy and in construction, so we moved a lot and we saw a lot of interesting things throughout my life. And I was sort of the nerdy kind of kid anyway. I was the type of kid that would take my bike and ride down to the library and research fairies and Stonehenge and all that kind of weird stuff. So Um, There wasn't really a specific event that sort of led me down this path. I've just always been interested in the strange and unusual. Right, okay. And did you have paranormal experiences yourself when you were growing up? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) From pretty much the age of three going forward. Cool. Would it be all right to talk about some of them? Uh, yeah, I don't really, (laughs) I don't really talk about it a lot. Um, because I grew up Catholic, so it was very very kind of confusing because the things that I was seeing and experiencing um, were not cool with a lot of my family. So there was a lot of tension there and I got in trouble a lot of times as a kid. Um, My grandfather died when he was eight and I would, when I was eight, excuse me, and I would see him everywhere all the time and just sort of talk to him. And they all said, well, that's impossible. You know, he's in heaven, he's gone, you're lying. And so I just sort of kept quiet uh-huh. A lot of times after the, the various things that I was doing and seeing and and all of that sorts of things. But really continuing to have a relationship with him after he was gone is really what um, got me super interested in, in the other side of weirdness, I guess you could say. How did you sort of teach yourself about these sorts of things? You talk about researching at the library. Was that your main yeah. resource for kind of finding out about these subjects? Yeah, pretty much. Um, well, being born in the 70s, there you know there was no such thing as paranormal television or anything going on at the time. Right. Um, and moving a lot, you know, being an only child as well, being raised as an only child, um, I was alone a lot. And so books were pretty much my best friends growing up. So just going there, researching things and kind of going down that rabbit hole. Like I said, the first big mystery that I ever really got involved was Stonehenge. I was going to solve the mystery of Stonehenge. What was it? Why was it there? What were people doing? Um, And it just sort of went off from there. I always think of the song by Spinal Tap, their song Stonehenge. Okay, yeah. That has those questions in it, doesn't it? Like who built it and everything. 
<laughs> pretty much. It was just so weird and, and it seemed pointless yet. It obviously had some sort of a point. So I was fascinated, you know, why would people drag these giant stones this far and stand them up? It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Mm, definitely. There's still lots of mystery about that site, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's definitely on my bucket list to get over there someday. Mm, cool. Well, it'd be great to get you over here. <laughs> um, yeah. So at the moment you live in Vancouver, but it's not, it's not Vancouver, Canada. No, it's the American Vancouver. <laughs> We're actually right across the river from Portland, Oregon. The Columbia River divides the states of Washington and Oregon out here. Mm -hmm. um, it's the big river out here in the western United States. So I'm much closer to Oregon than I am. Um, the other Vancouver, you know, is much closer up near Seattle, the opposite side of the state where I'm at. Right. Okay. So how long have you lived there? I've been here about 15 years. Um, I went to high school in Boise, Idaho and got out of there as fast as I possibly could and <laughs> <laughs> um, came over here to Portland for the first time in 1997 and um, really loved it. Um, went to school, went to college out here, ended up meeting my husband who grew up in the Portland area. And um, he definitely preferred the Vancouver side of things for the schools and houses were more affordable. So this is kind of where we settled. And when you moved to Vancouver, did you get a sense of the town having a history about it? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. In fact, it was the opposite. When I first came over, I was super resistant. Um, I had lived pretty well deep in the city in a very vibrant neighborhood and, and adored it and really didn't want to come over here. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's boring. And, you know, you know, have this aspect of if you go a little bit north, it gets a little bit more rural out here. But I didn't have any idea there was anything nearly as interesting happening over here as there was before I ran into a random brick in an antique shop one day. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, let's get on to the bricks. I have to admit straight away, when I first saw that you had blog posts called Hidden Bricks, I thought it was literally Hidden Bricks. Right. <laughs> and then I read the first blog post and I thought, it's, it's unusual, isn't it, that it's actually the name of the company that made the bricks and the family name. Yeah, it almost has a sort of ritual sort of vibe to it, which is mm. what made it really interesting to me. They were super proud of these bricks and it seems like and, you know, as we talk, um, the family itself ended up saving all of these historical buildings here in Vancouver. So it's all very kind of cyclical and interesting when you start to dig into it. Hmm. And so let's go back to the start then with your research into this mystery. Yeah. Where does it begin? Well, I was in downtown Vancouver. Um, I go to a lot of thrifting and antiquing, looking for interesting items. And I'm also a practicing witch. So one of the items that I'm always looking for is old bricks, antique bricks, because there's an old, they're considered protective. If you grind them up, um, it has origins back to old hoodoo. So I ended up finding this brick and it had a tag on it that said hidden brick and it was stamped 1871 and it was 10 bucks. And I was like, oh, perfect. You know, this is a great brick. This, I can get a ton of brick dust out of this. It'll last me for years. So I brought the brick and I brought it home and, you know, put it up on my altar and got ready to, you know, consecrate it so I could grind it up. And I didn't want to grind it up. I had this strange inkling that I wasn't supposed to damage this brick for whatever reason. And this wouldn't have been the first brick that I destroyed for these processes. You know what I mean? Like, this is kind of old <laughs> news. Yeah. So 
I was like, what is up with this brick? You know, and why is it called a hidden brick? So I just started looking into it. <laughs> right. And so where, where did you go to find out more? Well, you know, I went, I did a quick Google and found out, oh, there was this whole family and made a quick list of the remaining brick buildings that were around here because it interested me. And the first thing I noticed right away, having, you know, been an amateur paranormal investigator and historian is it seemed like a short list of some of the most haunted buildings around the Vancouver area. Mm -hmm. And it had me thinking, well, okay, well, of course, they're all old. They're from the 1800s. You know, old buildings obviously have more history, more residuals, have a higher chance of being haunted. But then I started thinking, well, maybe there's something funky about these bricks. Because if you think about what bricks are actually made out of, you know, they're dug out of the ground. And maybe there was something in the earth around here at the time that made these bricks in particular interesting. So I started tracking down these bricks. Mm -hmm. And so would that be sort of similar to what people describe as the stone tape theory like there's something in the fabric of the building that's allowing for it there's the idea that yeah, somehow the fabric of a building can sort of record or have a memory of events that have happened there if they're if they're emotional enough right were, were you thinking along those lines when it comes to what the bricks are made of they have a certain quality that allows for that yes absolutely and i thought well perhaps that along with you know, the fact that the structures themselves are so old could be contributing to why these, you know, areas are so haunted. Mm. So, and um, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my train of thought now. Oh, no. So <laughs> it, it derails a lot. Sorry about that. You just have to keep yelling at the conductor and it'll get back on. Notice. So, yeah. So I started going to all of these locations where these bricks were. And my theory has kind of evolved over time because I have, I have about six of these bricks now from various buildings. Um, some were reclaimed from sites, you know, and have bits of mortar on them. Some were, you know, a fresh brick that had obviously never been laid anywhere. And just been, you know, doing these experiment, experiments with these bricks. And what I've discovered is it seems like once the bricks are removed from the hidden location the original location they don't seem to be as active like nothing weird has happened in my house i sent a brick to a friend on the east coast to see if it would be reactive in her house um i've, I've been doing really weird experiments with these bricks and it seems like the bricks just themselves outside of the locations don't really seem to do anything okay so so when a building is first constructed using the bricks what is it yeah. based on your research what do you think it is that's happened to give them this quality and what do you think the ghosts are that the, that these buildings are haunted by are they spirits or are they memories that the building has for, for a better term gotcha oddly enough this ends up being tied to a bunch of nuns <laughs> yes which is my family's complicated history with the catholic church is nowhere near where i expected it to be going down this investigation to say the least um how the Hidden Brick Company was even founded was there was a woman, her name was Esther Pariso. When she was 20, she was um, brought by her father to a woman named Amelie Gamelin, who was a nun in Montreal, Quebec. Now, Mother Joseph's father was an architect and taught her to do all sorts of non-traditional things, carpentry, um, 
she could do anything. She was not your traditional female. Mm -hmm. She also lost her mom as a young age and knew how to do all of the traditional female things like cooking, cleaning, sewing, darning, needlepoint, all of these things. She was presented to these nuns, the Sisters of Providence, and they founded this entire... <laughs> I'm getting off track again. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so Mother Joseph, <laughs> back on track. Mother Joseph arrives in Vancouver um, because what was happening is the fur trade here. There were a bunch of French Canadian settlers that had gotten involved with a bunch of the local Indian women. And there were a bunch of biracial babies that were being abandoned, orphans. And the nuns realized that there was a huge problem here because of the racism at the time. The white settlers could not marry the Indian women. And so there were all of these babies that were just abandoned. So they decided they needed to care for the sick, care for the elderly, and care for these babies that kept showing up. So she decided she needed to build a school and build an orphanage. So she came up and met with the settlers in Fort Vancouver, realized the problem was here. This is Mother Joseph of the Sacred Heart. And in 1871, convinced a man, Lowell Hidden, to found the Hidden Brick Company. Now, Lowell Hidden was born in 1839, and he came from a very poor family. He was actually bound out to another farmer to work because his own family was so poor. And his history here in Vancouver, he admits is somewhat complicated because his family came up mm -hmm. here and jumped a land claim essentially from a widow um, and took over her land claim. And Mother Joseph showed up and taught the hidden family who had been working down at the docks on the Columbia River, taught them actually how to make bricks. So she from 1871 to 1905 sat and made these bricks along mm. side of these men by hand. Now these bricks from 1871 through 1905 seem to be the bricks that are the most, what I would call reactive or haunted. I don't know if that has to do because of the fact that they were handmade and, you know, somehow are tied into her residual energy. Like I said, she was very much a non-traditional woman. Um, she was six feet tall. She fought Indians. She fought a bear. Nobody told her no. Um, she was, I mean, she was absolutely an incredibly forceful woman and showed up in the wild, wild west, literally, and built all of these buildings. She's since been honored as the Northwest's first architect. Um, there's a statue of her mm. in the National Gallery. She was a really big deal around these parts, and she just happened to be a nun. And her relationship with her faith was definitely complicated somewhat, too. She openly admitted that she struggled with her vow of obedience. So, but she, back at the time, she basically thought, as a non-traditional female, the only way I'm going to survive and be able to serve the poor and do what I want to do and not be married and be a prairie wife is go be a nun. So she was a nun. <laughs> so she came and taught all of these men how to do the bricks, built churches, built houses, built libraries. So without her, the hidden brick company wouldn't have even existed. And truly Vancouver, the whole city as it is, would not exist the way that it is today without her. 
Hmm. I mean, it sounds like quite a, a magical act that she's done. If you think about what a person will invest and what the, what they need to do to kind of manifest a, a ritual, not intentionally perhaps, but she was she invested so much of herself in this project. It's hard to imagine when you do that. It, it's hard to imagine something like this not happening. If you see what I mean, like there being something about these bricks considering what went into their creation. Right. And they, they named their entire project, you know, Sisters of Providence. They mm. truly felt like God was providing for them. Um, they had been at several times absolutely desperate and destitute without food, um, literally at their last rope. And at the last minute, something after, you know, some sort of an act of prayer or there was another story about Mother Joseph where the academy was starting to flood and she went and got a piece of Douglas fir and carved a statue of St. Joseph and then yeah. went and put it down by the water and said, you'll go no further. <laughs> like, that doesn't sound very nunny to me, but it sounds pretty witchy to me. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Um, there have been some pretty bad floods over here in the UK recently and reading about that just made me, made me think of that. And yeah, that absolutely is an act of ritual magic, isn't it? Right. So I think definitely um, just from the t amount of time that I've spent at the Providence Academy, because I can't seem to stay away from that building now, um, <laughs> you could definitely feel her sort of spirit still around that area. It definitely feels like a liminal space. And I think it has to have something to do with not only the materials used, but the fact that the materials are still in the original location and the fact that you know, it was literally built with her own bare hands. She literally tore parts of the building she didn't like down and redid it herself. Hmm. So what sort of hauntings are being experienced? Well, in that building in particular, um, there's all sorts of stories about, um, you know, people feeling creepy, random footsteps, voices, things like that. I myself had an interesting experience with some footsteps um, in the chapel, which also happens to be the the area of where mother Joseph herself died. So that was really interesting when I was there. Um, a couple of the other houses that are still around that are built out of original hidden bricks. Um, Lowell's house, Lowell hidden, the first hidden himself is that house is open as a current restaurant and it is a spot on the local ghost tours, like pretty much all of them that come around here stop at that house and talk about it. There's supposedly a friendly ghost, um, female, that's thought to be female, that wanders around and sings there. Um, the working theory is that that is um, one of Lowell's daughters who was known to be very musical. And that again kind of goes back to Mother Joseph because she always had so many, she was so incredibly smart and had so many fires going in, in the oven at once. She didn't ever do anything accidentally. Yeah. And one of the things that I discovered reading her letters in the Providence Academy was that she continued to lament the fact that the church out here desperately needed and the sisters needed some encouragement because things were so challenging out here. And she kept saying, we need music. We need music. We need music. So maybe one of the reasons that she took the hidden family under her wing was that from what I have read in the historical museum is they were an incredibly musical family themselves. So maybe the fact that, you know, this supposedly daughter of the hidden family is still there singing could somehow be roped all into this good feeling around mother Joseph too, because everything seems to kind of evolve around her. Interestingly enough. Hmm. 
in the course of your investigation, how many buildings have you been to? Oh my gosh. Um, I've been to all of them that are standing around here still. I've been out to Astoria. Um, the Tillamook Lighthouse out there has some hidden bricks used in that. Um, that's another very haunted and liminal place that has been called cursed and many of other things. Um, I've been to Lowell Hidden House, Lowell, excuse me, the Lowell Hidden House and his son's house right next door, which is now a private law office. I've not been inside of that one because it is private, but I've checked it out um, and looked at that one extensively. That one has not been said to be as haunted as the one next door, but there are definitely, if you look at message boards and things like that, it's so hard because there's so many rumors you know, surrounding these buildings. There's supposedly this curse that Mother Joseph placed on the hidden family, which after months and months of digging has been found to have zero credence behind it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So um, the Cass- the Carnegie Library, which was the original Vancouver Public Library, it's now the Historical Museum. There is a friendly haunting in the basement. I went there and spent some time. Didn't have anything particularly weird happen there, but it definitely feels feels what I would call liminal in the space down there. You definitely feel like you're perhaps being watched. I've been to the original hidden brick house office, which I thought would be really interesting because it's now an operating bar and grill called the brick house. And one of the things about the hidden family that I learned in my research is they were very staunch Methodist and very anti-alcohol. So I thought they might have some strong feelings about there being an operating bar you know, in their, literally their old office. But everybody that I talked to there has said that nothing really weird seems to happen in that building ever. Mm -hmm. So that one ended up being a little bit of a dead end. It just seems like all of the original buildings that are being used somewhat for the original purposes are all very active. So it's almost like maybe the bricks are happy. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> um, they it, it definitely feels when you're in the hidden house having lunch, it definitely feels very warm and inviting, but it definitely, again, feels slightly what I would call haunted. Mm-hmm. I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, feels a little sticky, a little, little thick in there, but not in like a negative way. Right. Um, I did go into one of the buildings, which was, it's now called the Urban Barn House, and it was the old horsebound barn for the hidden house. And that building pretty much freaked my husband and I out right away. And we got out of there as fast as we possibly could. And there's zero explanation for it. Okay. Just, you just got a bad feeling. Yeah. It was just super not cool. Mm. And I dug really hard. I went back to the historic museum looking specifically to see, you know, did somebody die in this barn house? Like, did something bad happen in here? Because it just felt so uncomfortable. But I cannot find any reason why that particular part you know, felt the way it did. Hmm. My husband had an interesting experience in the attic of the Providence Academy where he felt very uncomfortable and wanted to leave and, and left the attic for um, a little bit of a breather when we were there for a tour. So I just, I had no negative experiences in that building, but he definitely was creeped out in the attic up there. Right. So in your research, have you found any accounts of people reporting hauntings close to the time that the buildings were first built or or is this something that seems to manifest as time has progressed or are there buildings that have always 
had this sort of phenomenon associated with them? Well, there's been a couple of interesting fires at a couple of the buildings, but, you know, I, I don't think that's paranormal really at all. The only one that from the minute it was built that has had problems is the Tillamook Lighthouse. <laughs> from, from, you know, the Indians that were out there before told everybody that land was cursed. It was a complete lemon from start to finish. Tons of people died and it was just a gigantic waste of money. Hmm. The, the concept of a haunted lighthouse is um, is a well-known one, isn't it? And, and uh, <laughs> right. in their very nature, they're, they're isolated buildings and they, they lend themselves well to the, what you might need for a, for a haunting to happen. And especially if you, <laughs> if you build it somewhere where the local people are saying, you probably shouldn't do that because <laughs> it's where a right. bunch of demons live. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So in, in your research of that place, what was actually reported there? Um, at the lighthouse? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it started out um, with the survey for the building initially. There was a gentleman that came out from Europe and was surveying and got swept out to sea. Hmm. And there were, I ran into, it was really interesting. We were at Astoria chasing some of these bricks, trying to chase some of these bricks. And I ran into a random church book sale and happened to find a book on Tillamook Light. That was exactly the book that I was looking for, of course, because I've had a couple of interesting things like that happen to me during this whole thing. I've been, I've kind of given it the name of Brick Mojo because mm-hmm. whenever I start chasing something, it just kind of shows up. I had a random brick show up. I've had two or three books randomly show up. Um, it's again, like, I don't want to get all spooky and religious, but it kind of goes back to the whole Providence thing. You know mm. what I mean? Like I was thinking, one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, gosh, it would be nice to see what these bricks were actually made out of. I wish I had some old dirt, you know what I mean? From back when they were, I wonder if the dirt then versus the dirt now is any different. Well, I'm walking down a random alley chasing these bricks and I find part of a hidden brick that happened to have an air pocket in it that had some old dirt in it. Just weird, weird stuff that means absolutely nothing to nobody but myself. And yet it happened again and again. Again, I found I'm out chasing bricks and I found an old book that a friend of mine really, really wanted for like next to nothing. Um, I found this Tillamook Light book for a dollar, you know, that and I found another book at the same church book sale that had Mother Joseph inside. Uh, Just lots of weird weird little things that happened. So I went up up to this lighthouse because myself, I had an, <laughs> there goes the ADD again. Sorry. The, uh, I had myself an experience about 15 years ago with this lighthouse. I decided I was going to go try to photograph all the lighthouses out on the Oregon and Washington coast, just for my own project to do. And I had some old camera equipment. That was my dad's um, with a bunch of telephoto lenses and whatnot. And thought, oh, well, I'll use them because then I can get some good up close pictures of this lighthouse because it's 1.2 miles out, you know, in the middle of the Pacific. And I just, the last picture I was ever able to take with that camera was of this lighthouse. Right. <laughs> it just it, so the big joke was, oh, the cursed lighthouse killed my camera. Awesome. <laughs> So it just continues to, you know, there's been cats that have died out there. There's, there's been dogs that have died out there. Um, stories of people losing their minds out there. Um, 
there was three weeks before the light was actually lit. There was a horrible shipwreck that 16 people died. It's just been nothing but bad luck out there. And it just continues. Um, the people that purchased the lighthouse after it was decommissioned in 1957 tried to turn it into a mausoleum. That was a huge failure. Just nothing can keep that thing. It's just going to disintegrate. There's there's nothing anybody can do to keep that thing from just falling into the ocean. It's It's pretty apparent. <laughs> right okay with that site what do you think is happening with the bricks to affect those sorts of phenomena and the, and the reputation that it has you know it's hard to know but i really feel like the bricks want their story told mm. because the more i talk about the bricks the more positive and interesting things seem to happen in my life which is really interesting um so, and again, it kind of goes back to the hidden family because I'm, I'm real, the sad thing is, is 1960s were not very kind to historic buildings at all here or anywhere else. And most of old Vancouver was actually built with these bricks. And in the 1960s, most of old Vancouver was raised. And the only reason the Providence Academy, which was, you know, the original hidden brick building even stands is because Lowell Hidden's grandson, Robert, bought it from the Sisters of Providence after they could no longer afford to keep it going as a school, bought it and, you know, kept it. And then initially later then sold it to the historic trust, which is what they're doing now is trying to restore it and you know keep it going because it has so many problems and they're going to build some new apartments on the grounds to try to help the upkeep but without him going and saving his grandfather's building and some of the other ones around here none of these buildings would even exist around here anymore they all would have been raised so that entire founding of vancouver history would have just been gone hmm. so the fact that it's also been interesting because ever since I've been talking about the bricks, I have a few, you know, photos on my Instagram whenever I find them randomly out in the wild or whatever, because they're all over. If you know what you're looking for, there's some in Portland, there's some in San Francisco. Um, and I have people contact me all the time about these bricks. There's a new resurgent of insurgence, excuse me, of interest in these bricks. I got contacted by a young lady the other day um, asking, can we use some of your photographs because we're making a huge art project that's, it's going to be a public art project and not to take their, their, you know, grand vision away, but they're going to, it's, it's going to be very large and very exciting and all about hidden bricks. So it's, it's almost like, I feel like the bricks and the buildings themselves, whether it be mother Joseph or the spirit of the bricks themselves or the spirit of just, maybe even the city itself, you know, is interesting or, or interested in talking about the bricks themselves. And maybe, again, back to what you were saying, you know, even the name Hidden is kind of like tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's a great name, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's the perfect name for these bricks. Right. Yeah. Like, what's really going on? And it's interesting because even in, in North Portland, especially North Portland and in Vancouver, if you own a house that's been built like in 1960 or under, you have about an 80% chance of going out and digging in your flower beds and finding hidden bricks in there as filler. So they're literally everywhere <laughs> and kind of nobody has any idea. 
Yeah, I mean, it just seems like there was so much personal intent put into their creation by Mother Joseph that it seems to have lent something to their fabric. That's what I get the yeah. sense that your research is uncovering. Um, There's definitely something special about them. Yeah, I mean, as a practicing witch, is there a precedent for this kind of thing? I mean, are there items that a witch might use that are sort of similar? Um, well, I have, <laughs> like, I've been doing all kinds of interesting, what I call brick experiments with the bricks. Um, I have a plain one that came from the Providence Academy. It's not stamped because there were some that were just plain and some that were stamped hidden. Um there's, you know, I'm trying to collect one of every kind, like they're trading cards. It's totally insane. My husband's like, are you trying to build a fort? What are you doing? Calm down. <laughs> um, so I have a plain one and I've recently started to use it <laughs> as kind of a chalkboard and write right. kind of sigils on it. So that's my latest sort of experiment. My 1871 brick, um, which is actually sitting next to me right now, because obviously I needed the brick mojo because I had no idea what I was doing today. Um usually sits by my front door. So for whatever reason, I feel the 1871 is highly protective. That's the original brick and the one I didn't, you know, want to do anything with. I also have a friend um, who's a psychic and um, does some interesting things with psychometry. And she herself has said, she's felt all of my bricks, all of, all of them. And she said this 1871 brick in particular feels like a battery to her. Hmm. So it doesn't feel like that to me, but I don't have the gift of psychometry. Like, you know, I can't hold things and feel energy from them. But she said there's definitely something for, about this 1871 brick. And this is one that what I would call a virgin brick. It's never been laid in anywhere. It simply has managed to exist since 1871 somewhere until I found it in an antique store. Right. I'm always impressed by that when you get something from an antique store like that, that the life that an object has had and where it's been. Right. Exactly. And it's with you now. I'm always kind of charmed by that, that the life of a, what you would essentially see as an inanimate object, but it has had right. a life, hasn't yeah. it? I think the concept of giving these sorts of objects personality is, um, it's something I really engage with. Yeah. And the thing about this 1871 brick that was super interesting to me, too, is when I went to the historical museum, there's a big, thick file on the hidden family. It has everything from funeral programs, newspaper articles, a tie and tipped family history. Like I went really deep on the history of these guys. And there was a photograph of Robert, who was Lowell's grandson, the one that saved the Providence Academy from destruction in 1968. And he was there was a picture of him smiling and it was at the what is now the brick house bar and grill. And he was holding an 1871 brick smiling in the newspaper hmm. and it was identical to my brick. So that was really interesting. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be super crazy if, you know, somebody just randomly found like, is this from the same 1871 lot of bricks as the one that he was holding there? And I also learned that all of the hidden family, you know, this one stamped 1871, um, and I've been sort of having fun finding all those different years and photographing them. I don't know if I'm going to make trading cards or what I'm even doing, but I've never known what I'm doing when it comes to these bricks. I just do it. And, <laughs> and I've found that the, each member of the hidden family, when they're born, they, this was at least up until 1992 when they stopped making bricks, they would get a brick 
stamped with their birth year on it. Right. And that was, you know, their brick. And then there was, and I haven't been able to actually confirm this with the hidden family themselves. I wrote them a letter, but I haven't heard back. But supposedly that stamped brick that, you know, they receive upon being born, their brick is buried with them when they go. Right. Okay. So that was super fascinating to me. And again, felt very sort of witchy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's another thing that gives these bricks a, a certain sort of occult quality. More than your average brick. <laughs> exactly. Like, they not only were stamped with their names, like, this, yeah, clearly the whole, it was just, yeah. <laughs> so what other experiments have you done with the bricks? Um, when I went to... Well, I've got one on my altar, which I've done some magic with it. I've added some, I've ground up some from the, the, uh, the broken brick that I found that had the dirt inside. I've ground up some of that brick dust and added it to candles, things like that. Um, I took a piece of the Boliskin house, which is a house over in Scotland. You're probably familiar with it where mm -hmm. Alistair Crowley lived and supposedly did black magic that could have created the wormhole that brought Nessie to life. Who knows? That's just a working theory, right? It's my but favorite I, theory. <laughs> I like it too, right? Yeah. So I got a piece of the Boliskin house, which is sandstone, essentially. <laughs> you know, a brick, kind of. And I took that with me when I went to the Providence Academy. Right. Yeah. And it was interesting because... Um, we heard some phantom footsteps and things and I pulled some Oracle cards in the chapel and I felt kind of like, not that they were upset that I was doing witchy things in there, but it was definitely noticed. Hmm. So I put, you know, these bricks with the Boliskin house to see if anything happened at home. Nothing really happened. Um, so other than my friend, you know, holding this 1871 brick and going, whoa, that is a straight out battery. I feel juiced from it. I haven't had anything interesting happen in my home from these bricks. Right. It seems okay. like they have to be where they were laid to have anything happen. Hmm. So does that so mean I don't that... Know if... Sorry. It's okay. Go ahead. So does, does that mean you th that the, the hauntings that are being experienced at these places, they are sort of a, what would be called a residual ghost or could it be right. actual spirits? I mean, is there any way really to get a better idea of that? Or ultimately, is it not particularly important? I, I don't know if it's not, I wouldn't say it isn't important as a, I might say it might be a combination. Okay. Because I feel like definitely maybe it was the ritual of, you know, Mother Joseph herself, the hiddens themselves being involved in laying these bricks, you know, that they themselves are responsible for that sort of activated mm. them. You know, mm. I don't know. Yeah. And then when they're removed from the situation, because at first I thought maybe it was just the 1871 to 1905 bricks, because in 1905, the hidden brick company switched over to what they call a wire cut brick, where instead of laying them flat, they, they lay them, you know, in the wooden molds. And instead of just essentially making them flat with their hands, literally, you could tell mm. the difference in the backs of them. They had a piece of wire that would neatly kind of cut them and leave a, a grid pattern on the back. So I thought, oh, well, it's just the 1871 and 1905s. It's the hand, you know, it's the hand making of them that is making 
you know, things happen with these bricks. Okay, I thought I had it figured out. But then the Carnegie Library was built in 1909, and it's a combination of, it's mostly wire-cut bricks. Mm. But it is the only remaining original location that is wire-cut bricks. So I wish there was a second building that had survived the 1960s made out of wire-cut bricks that I could compare it to. But unfortunately, there just isn't one. And even all the old hospitals, um, they, the Tacoma Hotel up north, the San Francisco buildings, almost all of those brick buildings have been knocked down over time. Pretty much what is around here is all that's left. Right, okay. So what's next with your research? You know, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I'm definitely going to go back to the Providence Academy. <laughs> um, like I said, yeah. I can't seem to stay away from that building. Um, I myself am really hoping to maybe put some sort of a, a little paranormal conference event on there maybe in the next year because they have a meeting room there and I feel very pulled to do something myself further in that building. So I, I don't know what, like, it, it sounds really strange, but I just want to be in that building. I want to be there. And I, and I, my friend's like, oh, maybe it's a past life thing. You know, I don't know, but um, it feels oddly like home to me. And until I kind of went on this whole hidden brick extravaganza, I never really connected, like I said, with Vancouver as my right. home before. I always felt very much like a Portland transplant that just sort of came over here. Mm. So maybe that's why I have such an irrational attachment to these bricks is for the first time, you know, I dug into my chosen, you know, village <laughs> and really felt a connection to them. That was unexpected because I really would not have ever cared in the least about what nuns were doing around here otherwise, to be honest. When you began your research, had, had anybody written about these bricks? And in Vancouver, are the Hidden Family quite well known? It's, it seems like they might be. Yeah, they definitely were. Um, Robert was, like I said, he was the one that saved the Providence Academy in 1968. And his family, his children, his descendants are still around here and do some sort of philanthropy with the, with the trust, the historic trust and whatnot. But he seems to be the last hidden family member that I would really call sort of the guardian of these bricks. Um, so I think like maybe in an odd way, maybe the bricks were just sort of looking for someone else to pick up the gauntlet and run with them. And right. maybe that's me. That's what I was going to say. It seems like maybe the bricks have found someone, a champion <laughs> to, yeah, to keep, because the, like to keep I, their story going. Yeah, because now people are finding me hmm. about the bricks. Even when I've been going out on my research, I went to this place called the Fargo Lake Roadhouse, which was ended up being really interesting because Fargo Lake is in a town called Yakult, Washington, which means haunted place in the old Native American word around here. Uh -oh. And I've never been out there. <laughs> yeah, right? It means haunted place or haunted valley. So I was like, oh, there's hidden bricks in the haunted valley. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's it feels like a very liminal space out there. Um, on the drive out, I was joking. I was like, are we going to see a Sasquatch just like run out in front of the car or a cougar or a redneck or a guy in overalls or like, you know, it just feels like one of those spaces where you're just hmm. in the middle of nowhere. And then suddenly there's a restaurant, a general store. And very similar to me, this gentleman got interested th that bought this Fargo Lake Roadhouse and this general store mercantile that's across the street. He found a bunch of old bricks on the property that he bought. 
and built this, I call it an altar. I don't even think he knows what he did, but he built this huge, um, it's a tower essentially for the wildlife, for the owls and the birds and the bats. Um, they tore down an old barn and he wanted to have a place for all the wildlife, which I think is really cool. But he built this out of hidden bricks and very much left it, designed it so you could read the letters, read the numbers. And he was compelled to build this, what I honestly see as an altar to hidden bricks. So the bricks are talking to him too. <laughs> Whether he realizes it or not. Hmm. So he's building weird towers out of bricks. I'm collecting bricks and doing blogs about bricks. I've got an artist contacting me who's, you know, making a big art project around these bricks. All of a sudden, they're sort of coming back to life. So are we being summoned? Are the bricks calling us all? I don't know. It's a lovely idea. It's, a, it's like a nice version of Twin Peaks almost, I think. You know, it's got a... <laughs> right? Just going back to what you said earlier... Um... You were talking about using the brick that you got in a hoodoo ritual. And can you just talk a bit about that and why a brick is good for that? Well, um, it goes back to the, the red color is thought to be tied in with the ancestors and protective. And it is said that if you ground up red brick dust and you wash your door with it, that is supposed to um, keep evil away from you. Also, I always have a line of brick dust, ground up brick dust on my front door. You're supposed to put it by any doors. I only have one in and out. Um, just as supposed to, again, keep negativity um, from crossing over into your, your dwelling. Right. Okay. It's just interesting that there's that aspect to bricks as well. Like bricks seem to have a right. lot of... You were talking before about brick mojo. So bricks seem to have a lot yeah. of you know, potential mojo. <laughs> Yeah, even the process, the way they're fired, and it's really interesting. And, and Mother Joseph herself inspected every single brick for every single one of her projects. Wow. I mean, that must like be... That's, that that's must... obsessive. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how many bricks did, were they, did they make? It must be millions. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, truly. You know, and to sit there and, and look at every single one and make sure that they were okay. Um, you know, she was a real deal. She obviously had a strong connection to these bricks herself. And the building itself, Providence Academy, is really interesting because you go inside and it's very apparent that it was built for children. The, the height of all of the handrails and, you know, she truly did build it to serve the orphans. Everything is incredibly well thought out. Um, the building itself is discombobulating to walk around in because it's in the shape of a giant cross. And so it has these long, 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 long hallways that it feels like it's a maze, but it's truly not because there's nowhere you can go other than straight, you know, down the hall. But it feels like there's mirrors surrounding you everywhere. So I'm not sure if it's the actual architecture of the building or if it's the juice of the bricks themselves that make it feel so strange in there. But that top level of that Providence Academy feels very, very, very strange. It's interesting to wonder why that is and what, what's affecting that experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I'm, I'm really loving your posts. I think they're really interesting. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, I've been interesting, interested to find out that other people are actually interested in this because this was just something sort of weird that I was doing. And 
seemed to catch a lot of people's interest. <laughs> mm, I'm really interested in the concept of buildings having a personality and character and, and objects that we would consider essentially to be inanimate, to have moods and... yeah. I'm a big fan of that when it comes to the concept of hauntings or at least being one of many potential explanations for what hauntings are is that a building will have a personality because there've been plenty of buildings yeah, that absolutely. Like, like you were saying there've been plenty of buildings I've been in and, and they've made me feel a certain way or and not just buildings too you know uh, modes of transport like cars or railway locomotives all sorts of things that are, that are essentially inanimate mm-hmm. have personality in them I'm I'm, really, I'm fascinated by that and I think what you're researching there's something about that as well it's yeah i also wonder if maybe you know the time when these books were being made you know around 1871 it was such the wild west back then you know i mean there mm. were indians all the time um there were floods all the time because there were no dams on the river back then um i right. mean it was just literally the wild west out here and so just thinking of the daily adversity to just get up and survive, let alone, you know, somehow back in 1871 without any running water or anything else, make these bricks and construct buildings out of a gray mud pit, essentially, is what they came to, you know, is, is amazing to me. And even the, the site of the Providence Academy is, is fascinating to me because one of the things I learned on the tour was the Providence Academy is on the only large standing solid plot of basalt in the Vancouver area. And what that means is that if there's a massive earthquake, which we're unfortunately overdue for out here on the West Coast, that building will stand when the rest of the city goes down around it. And she would have had no way of knowing that. Of all Mm. the plots of land to buy in the whole wild, what was the Oregon Territory, Fort Vancouver area, why would you, why would she choose that one? You know what I mean? Like obviously, and she felt it was God's providence. They very much felt like from the start to finish, she was guided by God to come here and build this academy and, you know, take care of the poor and take care of the infants. And if that wouldn't have happened, Vancouver would not look like it looks today. Hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? To think of the things that go into creating the world around us, the quirks of fate. Right. There's so many of them. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, just to finish off the episode with, and after talking about these hidden bricks, you're also an ambassador for Living on Earth. Indeed. How's that been going? Oh, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, I got to know Garrett and... Um, those guys, Garrett and Jeremy, about a year ago, um, one of the things I really liked that they started doing was tracking liminal experiences, which is kind of what I've been doing on my own my entire life, you know, mm. looking at weird things and researching them. And they started up in Liminal Seattle and started actually tracking them. And the thing that I really like about that project is they have a great sense of humor about it all, too. You know what I mean? It's not all super weird, spooky, all haunts or whatever. You know, we've got a random head of cabbage that showed up somewhere. (laughs) That's interesting. And then, you know, we started tracking all these random, we call it the broccoli wizard, the interdimensional broccoli wizard, because we'll just say random vegetables across (laughs) the world just randomly show up in in obscure places. Well, it's fun to track. You know what I mean? It probably means nothing. And I'm sure it means nothing. But it's something fun to do, right? Yeah, uh, man. The interdimensional broccoli wizard sounds like a character from Adventure Time. So right? that's, a, that's yeah. a big tick in, in my book. That's brilliant. 
<laughs> and the fact that, you know, I think when you start taking all this stuff way too seriously is, is not good. You know what I mean? You have to just kind of shrug and go, that's weird. I don't understand at all, but it sure is interesting. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, none of us really know. It's got to be. <laughs> none of us know. It's always better when it's fun, isn't it? I mean. Yeah. So, you know, the crowdsource map is awesome. And I found a group of, you know, a tribe of like-minded people that not only, you know, are interested in interesting things and tracking them, but, you know, interested in the science behind them and not just sitting in the dark screaming at ghosts. Um, <laughs> you know, that sort of sort of thing. They're, they're interested in, in doing weird experiments too. Like one of the things J Jeremy told me was you need to get some of that dirt and try to make a dirt battery out of it and see if it's any different from any other dirt around here, which I still haven't done because I've just been, you know, running around in haunted buildings, chasing these bricks. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like there's still so much potential with that project mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and with your hidden brick project as well, it seems like they fit together so well. I mean, Mm hmm. And I really like the concept of liminal spaces and liminal times, you know, which kind of goes back to the, the time frame when these bricks were being built. It was very much a transitionary time out here in the West. Yeah. So maybe that is what makes them, you know, so quote juicy, however you want to call it. Yeah. And I think liminality is more present than we perhaps realize. Mm hmm. And even, you know, the city of Vancouver itself is right on the river on a border. Liminal space. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they talked about that a lot in season two of Hellier, don't they? Oh, yes. A lot of the towns yes. that they um, they visited, I mean, Point Pleasant was on a river. and Bridges, and yeah, and there's lots of bridges here, too. Followed mm. up the path where Mother Joseph herself basically came out of the, the Columbia River and trudged up the hill. Followed that path up past the old apple tree here, which is the oldest uh, apple tree in the Pacific Northwest. And I sort of did a little pilgrimage, walked down from there up to where the Providence was too, to kind of get an idea of what it might have been like back then. And, you know, it's a 1.6 mile walk. It's not a, it's an easy walk now, but back that's because there's walking paths and things now. Back then there was nothing. Yeah, it's hard to imagine what it would be like. I mean, she's a very impressive character. Um, I'm terrified of bears, so all power <laughs> to a fighting one. I mean, wow. Right? I can't imagine. No. I can't imagine. <laughs> no, me either. <laughs> Well, Sarah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about the hidden bricks. Thanks so much, Rick. So if people want to find out more about your blog and your work with these bricks, how do they find that? Yeah, well, I spend most of my time on the old Twitter. I'm at a macabre under, underscore kitty on Twitter. My blog is just weirdlifepdx.blogspot.com. I've got, I think, 11 or 12... Um, blogs about these bricks all the various experience experiences that we've had tracking them down lots of photos love to hear from anybody else that's interested in these bricks excellent well i'll make sure to include that all in the show notes thank you you're very welcome thank you sarah thank you that was a really fun episode it was great to delve into some local history with Sarah and explore the origins of Vancouver and the people who helped bring it into existence. There's a lot of esoteric potential in the recipe for creating a town or city, a melting pot of vision, belief, and an awful lot of hard work, which are also vital elements to any successful magical working. Mother Joseph invested herself so much in realizing her construction projects. For example, checking every single brick 
So it's not too surprising that these bricks were imbued with a mojo that gives the buildings they make up some paranormal qualities. Thanks again to Sarah. I think that might have been her first podcast interview. So I really appreciate her taking the time to be a guest for this episode. I also want to say thanks to Matt Hopewell for making me aware of her research with the bricks. If you'd like to get in touch with me at Sphere HQ about a topic for a future episode, or anything else, you can email me at someothersphere at gmail.com. And you can find Some Other Sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod, and on most of the well-known podcast platforms. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.